Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for supernatural girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. We are back in 2020 and happy to be here with you all. Got a great show for you tonight. Our guest is Dawn Bauman-Bronke, and she is an animal communicator, and she's going to be telling us all about the power, the transformation, the healing, and the enlightenment that comes with the alchemy of the snake. We're going to hear things that I'm sure you have not heard before. A very exciting show coming up. But first, my two co-hosts are here with us as well. We have PK, Patricia Kirkman, and we also have George Lugo, our psychic medium, the best in the world. And we're going to start, PK, with you. What do you have going on for the numbers for us tonight? We're in a four-personal year right now. And so it's all going to be about details of things. It's going to be about work, work work-related issues. But it also, this is a month of major changes. So one of the things I've been paying attention to is the changes that are coming. Uh, Queen Elizabeth happens to be in her nine year. The nine year is ending old things, making way for new things to take place. Well, when we're taking a look at that, we've just seen what her one son is going through, and he's been asked to step back. Now Harry and his wife are asking to step out of the limelight and she's got a lot of things taking place that are totally against what she usually has control of right now it seems like things are slipping through in many different directions because of that epstein situation where her son is concerned so there's a lot of major issues that they're going to take its toll on her, I believe, in her health, because this is a year of ending a lot of old things, so there's a lot of drama going on around her. And I think her, the thought of her one grandson moving away and the son having to step back, because he actually uh, has been her favorite in the past. Oh. But taking a look at the overall way things have been going, uh, there's a lot of things taking place, and I think the uh, fact that there's a lot of issues going on with political figures and politicians that are going to be backlashing coming from the Epstein thing. That's definitely not over yet. There's going to be a lot more coming from it. We'll also see a possible pregnancy with uh, Catherine or or Duchess Kate, if you want to call her that, Williams. I think there will be a pregnancy possibly this year. And don't be surprised if there's not a pregnancy for Justin Bieber's wife as well. So there's a lot of coming and going. So it's going to be a year of a lot of changes taking place when least expected. But I'm wow. more than the English royalty is a pinata right now. There's going to be all kinds of things <laughs> taking place with them. So oh, my goodness. 
the queen must not be happy about this, as you mentioned, that this is stuff that she normally has control over and she doesn't. Definitely not. And, you know, we've been taking a look at some of the things going on around her and what she's had to deal with. It's very disappointing for her to have to go through this. She's always kept that stiff upper lip, but I'll tell you, it's not looking so good in her corner of the things right now. And her husband's health is not good either. He's mm-hmm. had some things popping up, and so I think it's going to become a very, it's going to be a very difficult year for her, and there's going to be losses in her world this coming year. Could even be something where she herself is concerned. But I'm picking uh-huh. it up more around. Unfortunately, it is the way it is. My. George, you picking up on anything with that? Yeah, but I don't want to depress anybody. <laughs> it's, okay. Uh, yeah, there's going to yeah, you know, we're going to have some, it's going to be a heavy-duty year, war-wise, uh, politically, just all that type of stuff. It's going to be nuts. And, you know, so everybody just kind of hang on. Um I feel like if you say anything, it, you're really going to be accountable for it, you know. So just be careful what you guys are saying to each other out there. Be nice. Play nice. <laughs> but I just okay. feel like there's a lot of that that kind of stuff happening, you know. Yeah, uh, but that's absolutely. pretty much it. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to go any further because I'll get myself in trouble. Anyway, so video. <laughs> okay. We may have to press you maybe next show, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We will see. Well, everybody, if you would like your own numerology reading, you can reach PK at PatriciaKirkman.com. You can also find PK on our website, SupernaturalGirlsWithAZ.com, and get your own numerology reading for 2020. And if you would like a psychic and psychic mediumship reading with the best of the best, then you want George Lugo. And you can find George at CrystalGateReadings.com. That's CrystalGateReadings.com. If you would like soul realignment or just life coaching, dream analysis, then you can contact me, and you can find me on our Supernatural Girls website. Just send me an email. Be happy to schedule something with you. And also, we still have our amazing candles on sale. We're creating new ones. Katrina Raspold, the Bruja from California, and I have been working on some new designs and some new powerful candles, and we'll be introducing those. Meanwhile... The three that we have are still on sale, so be sure to go check those out. Those are a lot more than just candles. And I'm sure you know what I mean if you listen to our show with Katrina about Brujeria. It is a very powerful magic, and that's what goes into those candles. So, my goodness, we have so much going on in the world of the paranormal. Lots and lots of stories on our Facebook page over the last two weeks. During the holidays, many more UFOs being reported, all kinds of things there for you to watch, all videos and uh, articles as well. I highly recommend that you go to our Facebook page. Make sure you like and follow, as well as on Twitter, so you can keep up with all of the exciting things that we are doing. We're going to be doing some new things this year, offer you some some new support systems that you can access anytime on YouTube. And we're going to have a great time in 2020. Many new guests coming on the show, lots of new topics. Next week, we're going way down the rabbit hole with aliens, UFOs, and multidimensionals. So be sure to keep checking with us with our schedule. But we're back to every Wednesday night, 730 to 9 Eastern, 
So, again, just make sure you're following us so that you can keep up with the schedule and listen to all of our great guests. So tonight we're talking about a very controversial, I'll say, animal, reptile, the snake. So we're hoping you're all ready for a balanced consciousness in 2020, a real awakening, and we are going to uncover the mysterious ties between snake and goddess and how the snake got so maligned through history and what is this all really about, the power of the snake, kundalini, all this metaphysical magic. Does it all go back to the snake? And we have with us tonight Don Bauman Brunke, who is an animal communicator, one of our favorite favorite topics on this show. And Don is the author of seven books that explore ways we learn from animals and deepen our connection with all life. Now, her works include Animal Voices, Animal Guides, Dreaming with Polar Bears, and her latest book, Awakening the Ancient Power of Snake. So, Don, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's our pleasure. This is a great topic, and as we were talking off the air, you were saying people have one of two reactions to snakes. I know I love them, but I'm probably in a bit of a minority. So how? let's go back into history, because you covered this so beautifully in your book. What is going on with the snake? What happened with the snake in ancient history? And let's bring us to the present today. Okay, good. Well, it's actually it's a, a really timely subject for everything your um, your co-hosts have said. You know, snake is a harbinger of transformation, a profound transformation. And going back to the very ancient times, snake was originally a protector, a creator. Um, there's a lot of ancient myths from Egypt and other places, Mesopotamia, Sumeria, that times when uh, snake created the world. And snake is responsible for creating life and later in later myths for protecting and guarding. We see this in the Egyptian culture where snake is often a guardian to royalty, to the pharaohs, and um, really a protector of gods and goddesses. Again, cross-culturally, we see this in India. We see this in um, South America, all over, really. Uh, snake is a protector, a guardian, an advisor, um, especially for those who are seeking enlightenment or transformation. So how did this change? How did this shift? Basically, the way I talk about it in the book in easy terms is we shifted from a goddess culture about 4,000 years ago, so about 2000 B.C. and before that time. It was primarily more of a goddess culture. Uh, people lived with the land. There was more harmony. There was an equality between male and female, uh, nature and spirit. Around 2000 B.C., we had the Indo-European kind of invasions come in, and they brought with them the sky gods, the male patriarchal system. And this didn't happen all at once. It happened over a period of time in different places. And these patriarchal kind of cultures, religions, um, uh, brought with them more of a hierarchy, huh? So there's more of a patriarchal structure. Man is more important than woman. It's more important to... Uh, and not live in harmony with nature, but dominate it. So we have all of these things coming in. Snake, like I said, was once 
the guardian, was once the, um, the protector, and very much aligned with the goddess culture. You see a lot of old um, statues with goddess and snake together. When that uh, patriarchal uh, energy came in, there was a shift to that. And, you know, as is often when one culture changes another or one group of people come in, they have to denigrate the old in order to build up the new. So you're going to destroy the old culture, you destroy the old beliefs, and bring in the new. So we have this systematic uh, paradigm shift of, and again, happening in many different cultures, many different times, over a period of probably a thousand years, where snake and goddess become denigrated. They become less than. They become, you know, the tempter, the deceiver. And we can go into the Garden of Eden story, which is actually a great metaphor for, for all of this and how it happened historically. And now let's talk um, about they, that if, if we can, sure. because that I think is one of the most misunderstood things of all. And it certainly did put the snake into the position of being a bad creature. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Sure so the, the story of Genesis was written, Bible scholars agree, it was about 1500 uh, B.C., and like I said, at that time, we had this, this shift from a goddess culture to more of a god, sky god culture. So the people who are writing the Bible are, are men, and they kind of have this agenda. And the agenda is, okay, we've got to get rid of the old paradigm, and we have to bring in the new. So the story goes that, you know, Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, um, and they're told that they can, they can eat anything they want except for the tree except from the fruit from the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. And the snake tells Eve, I'm telling a very short story here, <laughs> the snake tells Eve, you can eat that, that's not going to hurt you. Eve's like, no, God said if we ate from that, we're going to die. The snake said, you're not going to die, you're going to be awakened. So as we know, Eve eats the apple, shares it with Adam, and the two are profoundly changed. They do awaken. Once you awaken to something like that, you can't go back to not seeing it. And they didn't die. You know, if you really, if you really look at this uh, metaphorically, kind of with, not metaphorically, but literally, um, Snake was telling the truth. You know, Snake said, you're not going to die if you eat the fruit. You're going to be changed. And that's what happens. Now, if we look at this historically with the, um, you know, the patriarchal culture that's coming down, it's kind of, in a way, that's God. And that's God saying, no, you can only do this and that. Um, and Snake, the old culture, goddess culture is saying you can so something shifts there something dramatically shifts in energetic and a lot of uh, uh, joseph campbell for example a lot of uh anthropologists cultural anthropologists look at this book as really showing that historical shift from the god goddess culture to the god culture snake becomes maligned because snake is the tempter so is eve right so systematically, these two, snake and goddess, become denigrated in the story. We can't trust them anymore. We can't trust the w women anymore. We can't trust any kind of snake because that's a bad thing. And then from that time on, we see snake being denigrated in myth. And instead of being a, a, a protector, guardian, uh, you know, help, helpful advisor, snake becomes something evil, something phonic, something underground, something that has to be destroyed and, and um, uh, kept low, huh? kept underground. Right. And, and, and as you're talking about this, I mean, I'm really struck with something you said. It's not just snake that was maligned, but it was women in general that were also maligned yeah. and put into that same category. Snake needed to be uh, eradicated or controlled 
and women needed to be controlled. So that's what we've exactly. been living under. And it's not just, I mean, we say women, but, it, you know, there's male and female and everybody. So it's also the female aspect of every man that's also been uh, been taught to believe that you that part of you is, is not good, that part of you is deceptive and, you know, brought us to where we are today and everything bad. So it affects us all. Well, it does, and I agree with you totally. It's you know we have male and female within all of us, and it's a um, it's subtle, huh? It can be subtle. Sometimes it's overt, yeah. but sometimes it's very subtle. Just like the idea of you know logic is somehow more important or more trustworthy than emotions or intuition. So we have that that male female balance. I mean, we can see it in in, in clear things like you know. Uh, uh, how how women are paid less than men, how uh, men dominate certain areas, and and I don't want to get too. I'm I'm not anti-man at all here. I'm just saying the equality isn't there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the equality yeah. isn't there. Yeah. And what we're going I'm towards, on the hot seat here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, what we're going for isn't isn't you know women over men or men over women, but yeah. really a sacred marriage of of male right. and female and a coming together of of logic and intuition and of of male and female, of nature and spirit, you know, these types of things. So we're looking more at a harmony, or at least yes, I am. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> now, this makes perfect yeah. sense. And also, with the snake, I mean, you bring out so many fascinating facts in your book about how this ties into medicine and, and all of the different uh, ways that ancient medicine worked with the snake and their venom. Mm-hmm to turn it into mm-hmm. uh, medicine rather than poison. But there's there's a lot to be said about the snake that is related to Kundalini. Can we talk about that? <clears throat> sure, of course. Um, yeah, so Kundalini is uh, the Sanskrit word. It means the sleeping serpent. And um, the general notion is that we have this, it's a metaphor, but it's also kind of uh, uh, a real energetic uh, of a sleeping serpent, a sleeping coiled energy at the base of our spine. And Kundalini awakening is the idea that that wakes up or is activated in some way. And that energy travels up our spine, up to our crown chakra and awakens us. It's, it's basically a path to enlightenment. Um, sometimes this happens unexpectedly with people. Some people use meditation and various uh, practices to awaken Kundalini, but always it's about transformation and change. And again, that's really one of the keynotes of snake or snake spirit is transformation. And, you know, and you, th- you can think of it in basic terms, just like snakes shed their skin. They release that old, that old paradigm, that old skin, and they come out new and shiny. They're still themselves, but they're renewed. And that's kind of the tie to medicine and, um, you know, that ancient people observed that about snake, that snake uh, was a, uh, a representation of healing by virtue of shedding its skin and also of enlightenment and of wisdom. You know, the ancients observed that snakes never shut their eyes. Well, they don't have eyelids, that's why. But that whole notion was a metaphoric truth of uh, snake being all wise and seeing everything. So, again, that would be one of the older uh, metaphors and representation of snakes and why it was so highly regarded in so many cultures. This is fascinating. I mean, there's so much power in kundalini and so much power in awakening it when you're ready because we've certainly talked to people who were surprised and weren't ready and they didn't have good stories to tell. (laughs) Right, right. We had one lady on who talked about it, and she actually learned 
to work through some of the difficulties at the beginning, but she said at the very beginning it felt like her blood was boiling. I mean, it just set mm-hmm. off this whole uh, transmutation of elements within her own body, and she just didn't expect it. So, uh, But what she learned to do was to call Kundalini forward. So she came on the show, actually, and did a Kundalini calling for everybody in the audience. And it was mild, you know, because she didn't want to trigger anybody. But it was very interesting that she developed this gentle relationship with Kundalini. Mm -hmm. And certainly, you know, it is something that so many people in our audience are interested in because we're all striving towards greater understanding and enlightenment and that is what this kundalini energy can certainly provide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I know, I think that we, we, you referred, uh, referenced this at the beginning. Some people either are very fearful of snakes or they're very fascinated and, and um, you know, uh, interested in snakes. And one thing about snakes that I learned through all of my research is that, um, especially in, re- in regards to kundalini, is if you're not ready, snake will often appear as a very fierce, um, intimidating presence. And I think part of the reason for that is Snake is warning us that we're not ready to awaken that Kundalini. When you see, when you're true. ready, when you're, yeah, when you're spiritually, emotionally ready to awaken something, that Snake is a guide. Snake is an advisor, and Snake invites us to awaken that which is ready to awaken. Another trademark of Snake is it knows, it knows the cycles. It's very, uh, sensitive to the flow of of cycles, the ebb and flow of our cycles, and when we're ready to awaken. So if you ever need to know, you know, can I awaken this or not, snake is a great uh, animal spirit to, to connect to and to inquire of. Interesting. And it's, it's, a, it's an animal, a reptile, that rejuvenates itself. It's kind of like Dr. Mm-hmm. Who. It just... <laughs> It just regenerates into another form of itself. And as you say, here's a bright, shiny new snake, got rid of its old Mm -hmm. skin. And Mm -hmm. that's fascinating. I don't think there's anything Mm -hmm. else on the planet that does that, is there? Well, there are other other reptiles do that, but snake is, you know, it's really well known for that of, yeah, and that's why we say snake, you know, metaphorically, it's all about releasing the old and going into the, and, and awakening the new, we could call it, if we wanted you know, get more esoteric about it. You're, you're peeling off your old worldview, that which doesn't work anymore, that which is too small, you know, worldviews that are too small or paradigms that are, are self-limiting so that we can awaken and move through that and transform ourselves into a clear representation of who we really are. Well, that's wonderful. And, again, this, this is such a powerful <coughs> medicine, really, in so many ways, and that the pharaohs uh, wore this symbol of the snake in their headdress. So besides mm-hmm. being protective of, the, of royalty, in ancient Egypt, what else did this didn't this symbolize other things? Awakened an awakened pharaoh, a winged pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Well, you know the whole uraeus, the the headdress with the snake right there, um, really at the third eye, is a symbol of awakening that. So on one level, a snake offers advice and mentorship to to pharaohs, but more profoundly offers awakening of the of that of that chakra and later of the crown chakra. Um, you know, again, we, it, all of these things are tied together. That's one thing I also learned when I was researching snake is everything is kind of tied together. The Kundalini, the awakening, the protection. On the one hand, we see snake protecting 
um, uh, gods and goddesses, the Buddha, you know, there's often those statues of, of that many-headed snake coming up over the meditating Buddha. Um, but we also see snake as a guardian and protecting treasures. So it can be a fierce-looking snake that's protecting a cave or treasures within. Um, and again, that goes back to that whole notion of where are you in relation to your own shadow material, you know, in relation to are you ready to awaken Kundalini or not? If you're not, snake's going to be scary because it's keeping you away. It's doing a mm-hmm. service. You know, that's a service. That's not something to hate. That, that's sort of a superficial response is, oh, I hate snakes. You know, that's an unexamined, um, in my idea, in my, my view, an unexamined uh, relationship with snake. You know, why mm-hmm. should we hate snake? Right, right, exactly. And, I mean, again, there are snakes you write about in your book. I mean, like the black mamba. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember well, the black deserve- mamba from, from Kill Bill, you know, when uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. when when she uses the black mamba to, to kill one of those uh, bad guys. And it, it was a fascinating, basically, an instruction and how deadly the black mamba can be. Mm-hmm. It's also beautiful. It's a beautiful snake. There, you know, so many snakes, I think, are that. And they're a combination of, uh, I mean, snakes deserve our respect for sure. <laughs> you know, they can yeah. be really deadly. Um, but you have to understand, snakes are not out to get humans. That's totally not true. You know, mm-hmm. especially venomous snakes. Venomous snakes don't want to bite us. Why? Because venom is a precious commodity to them. They need that to, uh, you know, uh, 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 defend from predators. And they need it to subdue prey. So they don't want to waste it on humans. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the whole notion that snakes are to get us or somehow, you know, uh, against humans is just, that's just made up stuff. Let me me interject something here. I had this um, Mm -hmm. Asian family that invited me over to their house to participate in something. And he had um, one of these glass jars, those large glass cookie jars. It's clear. It's got a little ball mm-hmm. on top, you know, that type. Anyway, in it were all these cobras, and they were all mm-hmm. pickled in this solution. And there was hunks, big uh, <coughs> ginseng roots, um, all kinds of eggs, some types of plants, um and they didn't speak English very well, but they told me to drink it. You know, I'm like, and these cobras are all facing outward. They're all, you know, coiled up, and then they're standing up, and their uh, their their fan is out completely, and their mouth is open. They're showing their teeth and, and all of this, and they faced, and there was enough that they were touching each other to, to go all the way around this jar, which was like a five-gallon jar. And so they said, mm-hmm. you know, drink. Do you know anything about this? Have you ever seen that? I haven't seen that, but I do know that, you know, especially within Asian culture, snake from very ancient times was used as a, as a type of medicine. And there's various yeah, different exactly. ways that they would use snake. They would use the skin, um, you know, to, uh, well, for, for all kinds of different things. They would, they would right. eat the meat sometimes. Sometimes they would boil it and make a tea, make a tincture. So there's a so snake um, in medicine uh, snake has been in medicine, let's say this this way, and you know, connected with healing since ancient times. Yeah, and the, the Asians yeah. especially uh, seem to be really oh, uh, in tune with that. Yeah. Yeah, and I asked them. You know, I said, "What do I do after I drink this?" And they just kind of smiled, and uh, and they said, uh, 
you know, like look around us, you know, and I'm looking around and I'm telling I'm like, what, what? I don't get it. And they said, it's an aphrodisiac. So I'm kidding, you know, and they said, you drink one shot of this and you better go home, you know, and, uh, and I'm thinking, oh, but they didn't tell me that until after I drank it. And something in, something in my body said, whatever you do, don't lay down. I just felt this overwhelming heat in my body, you know, and, uh, uh-huh. but they, you know, they all took a swig out of it. And they're just these big cobras. They're big cobras, too. And there's just a bunch, uh-huh. a whole bunch of them in there. I've just never you seen anything brave, like it. You George, to drink and that. So, yeah, I try everything once, you know. So they, <laughs> uh, 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 I said, well, how did you get it here? And he oh, we have our ways, you know. They kind of motioned to that. So they had two of these jars, and I guess they had a few others that were kind of hinting to the back room. But I don't know how they got them here and how they didn't keep spilling out of that. But uh, uh, those cobras were fierce looking, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I, I take a drink. But anyway, I just wondered if you knew what that was. So, and you're right, it's some type of medicine. But they told me it was an aphrodisiac, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so that's well, anyway, yeah, it's that's used my in a lot story. of different ways. Yeah, snake is used in a lot of different ways. I mean, we have um, in the modern in the U.S. we have a number of heart medications that make use of snake venom. A lot of people don't mm-hmm. know that. Oh, yeah, really? yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, we've learned a lot of things, especially about the heart and about blood through analyzing snake venom and, and finding out what it did. Um, you see this very strongly in homeopathy where mm-hmm. uh, a number of uh, tinctures are made, or a lot of remedies, they would call them, are made from snake venom. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, and again, we have powerful. The, yeah, the medical symbol, too, the caduceus. Mm-hmm. And there mm-hmm. was another symbol you talk about that preceded that. So tell us about those the rod symbols. of Asclepius. Right, yeah. the rod of Asclepius is a, um, and that's based on an older myth about Asclepius, a, a kind of a, a, an old Greek healer who sees some snakes, and the story goes that he sees uh, one snake is dead, and another snake comes and puts some herbs in that first snake's uh, mouth, and the snake comes back to life. And Asclepius becomes um, fascinated with snakes, and he uses the snake curling up the rod as his symbol. It's a symbol of healing. And then later, in Greek myths, Caduceus, uh, the Caduceus is used by Mercury, um, who is a god, messenger god. And sometimes it's connected to healing. Actually, the more kind of correct uh, uh, connection with healing would be the rod of Asclepius, the, the single snake. But we do see, um, and that's what you'll see on the back of ambulances, huh? Yeah, we still yeah. use that symbol today. Yeah, yeah. My goodness. Yeah. So the snake it's is used involved in a lot in of healing logos. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. As a represent, you know, I mean, yeah. And think about it. It's used symbolically like that, but it's also used physically in heart medications, in homeopathy, um, in the Asian culture, and in a lot of different ways. And they do make use of, of like for example, the gallbladder, the the skin, the heart, and and different aspects of snake. Yeah. When I was in San Francisco, I went to the uh, to Chinatown, and they got one street away from the tourists, and that street is full of uh, of uh, uh, you know homeopathic type shops, and they use a lot of snake snakes in jars, dried up skins, organs, all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. All it types was amazing. of animals they use. Yes, yes, really amazing. It's a fantastic yeah. place to see. <laughs> Now, you've been an owner of snakes. You've had a couple of pet snakes. Tell us about that. Yes. 
When I started writing this book, I was I was really fascinated by snakes. I read a lot about them. Obviously, I watched a lot of videos. I went to I would go to the pet store and watch the snakes just because I was so fascinated. And my husband, <coughs> excuse me, husband asked me if I wanted to get a snake. You know, it just didn't feel right to me to get one from a pet store. Not that I'm judging it in any way, but it just it didn't resonate with me. And then one day I was I was actually looking for a dresser on Craigslist, and I happened upon this. Um, ad for a ball python it said carl needs a home and it was a lady who lived about half an hour away and she had this ball python and i called her right away kind of spur of the moment and she invited us out and that was the first time i got to hold a ball python a snake we were sitting in the sunshine in her cabin and it was just amazing he was all curled up into a little ball and chilly he had been in the house and when i held him after about five minutes he started warming up and he started moving and the feel of a snake, if you haven't felt one, it's so amazing. They're so, you know, we think, oh, if, if, if we're predisposed not to like them, we might think they're icky or they're slimy or something. They're not. It's like smooth silk. They're amazing to hold and amazing to feel. Um, you know, they have incredible number of ribs, and that's the way they're able to, to undulate so beautifully and to move um, in a very <sighs> – you know, it's just a fascinating way they move. I, I never got tired of watching snakes move. So anyway, we did end up with Carl and then later um, ended up with another uh, a snake, a beautiful orange snake named Chloe. And that's how I learned about the differences in personality of snakes because Carl was kind of this very slow, methodical. I always called him my gentleman snake because he really took his time when he was eating mice and, you know, was able to always get it. And Chloe was kind of like my wild child. She would just do crazy things. She was very friendly. Most corn snakes are very friendly. But she would love to explore. We'd sometimes put her on the floor, and she'd like to go in our shoes and go around the, you know, um, through the carpet, through the uh, the chairs and everything like that. She was just a wild girl. And they both had very different temperaments, different ways of being. So it was fascinating, actually, to have two snakes, to watch them and to see the differences between the two. And you Did he ever bite you? Uh, no, well, actually, Carl once bit my husband, and it was—I think it was because my husband was uh, kind of manhandling him a little bit. You know, he oh. wasn't quite as respectful as he as he could have been, and so he got a nip. I mean, it's not a—it wasn't a a major thing or anything, but it it, it it was a good wake-up call. Like, yes, you have to be respectful because, you know, these are wild animals. They're really, <laughs> I and I have I have a lot of different feelings about whether we should be keeping snakes or not. But um, I did I did learn a lot um, from the snakes for the for for the several years that I lived with them. Yeah. Now, you being an animal communicator, you must have had conversations with them, right? You know. Well, it's interesting because many of my books, about my first five or so books, were really about animal communication and about connecting. When I wrote the snake book I and, and when I got Carl and Chloe, I really wanted to take a different approach. So I didn't get – I mean, I did – I did connect with them in personal ways and communicate with them, but that wasn't the focus of my book and it really wasn't the focus of my time with them. It was really to learn from them as snakes. So I didn't want to impose that on them. Um, so it's a different relationship than I have, for example, with my dog, who I talk to all the time. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have but a snakes, funny story snakes, to share with you mm-hmm. about animal communication with snakes. Um, I don't know if you know Lydia Hibby, Don. Do you know Lydia? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know her personally, but I, I know her name, yeah. 
So I've known her from way, way back when she first started this over 30 years ago. And she was telling me the funniest story how she had was called to the, this college dormitory. And the woman had a snake, one of the students. And she had, had it from the time it was very young, apparently, and it slept in bed with her, okay? Mm, and mm-hmm. she she had satin sheets. Now, those things are slippery. So one night, the snake just slipped out of the bed, was on the floor, and it wandered out into the hallway. And it was the funniest thing because the woman said, I want to know what, the snake was thinking and feeling because something happened that really scared me because the snake got so rigid. I thought she was dead. And mm-hmm. so Lydia talked to her, and the snake said that she described falling out of bed and going into this other hallway. And all of a sudden, she told she tells Lydia, all of a sudden I heard everybody yelling, snake, snake, snake. I didn't know uh-huh. where that snake was. So... <laughs> So I just had to stay perfectly still. And it was so oh. funny. It was like she didn't know she was the snake. You know, uh-huh. She had uh-huh. bonded with this college girl, and she just thought she was one of the students, I that guess. That's funny. Isn't oh, that my hilarious? gosh. Yeah. So I just love this story. And it's, it's a very endearing <laughs> story because you get to see that, you know, these animals, and I know you know this better than any of us, have feelings and the way they interpret the mm-hmm. world. It's, it's very different. And we need to respect it. It is very anyway. different. I mean, I think that's a great thing uh, for all of us to remember is that, you know, we tend to think that the world is the way it is because of our human <laughs> worldview. And everybody right. thinks that. But we we neglect to, to keep in mind there's birds, there's alligators, there's, you know, snakes, there's, there's dogs and cats, all of which have a different uh, perception of what's happening, you know, in reality and in our world. So, yeah. Now, yeah. do you think that there are still secrets and mysteries that the snake holds in terms of uh, metaphysical awakening and medicine? I mean, do you think that there's more to learn here? <clears throat> I do think, well, I think there's more to learn always with all animals and with all people and beings. So we're kind of uh, ever evolving. But yeah, I do think there is a, something about awakening. Maybe I can I share with you the story of how I Please. actually came to write this book? Okay, yes. so I had, this was several years ago. It was actually right around the winter solstice, and I had these really bad back, back pains. I kind of have a bad back anyway, and I was having really bad back spasms. I was in bed, um, and it was so bad that I was like, clenching my stomach they, the spasms would come every three to five minutes and I was oh, I was no. really exhausted it had been going on for hours and I'm <laughs> delirious you know and at one point I go what do I need to know what do I need to see and just like that an immense snake appeared in my consciousness I mean it was oh. so large all I saw was the face of the snake and its presence and I realized this was um this was an ancient archetypal snake. It was a snake spirit. It was snake energy. And I knew I should be afraid, but the, the first thing that came to my mind was, how can I help you? That, mm. was, that was like, I, it wasn't the words that came, but the thought. And snake told me it had lost its tail. Oh. And what I understood that it meant by that was it has, 
it had been disconnected from its tail. Not that it had, you know, couldn't find its tail. It was hidden, but it was disconnected in some way. And then I go into a dream, and I'm in a, in a forest uh, uh, cabin, and there's an old woman sitting there on a chair, and on her lap is a big, black, medium-sized snake, black snake, and she has a needle, a silver needle and thread, and she's sewing, making little X's on the snake. And then I realize I'm sitting in a similar chair doing the same thing. Both of us are making little X's, and we're sewing snake back together again. Hmm. And with that, uh, I kind of went into uh, – that's what should we call it, an altered state of consciousness. And Snake, Snake Spirit, was sharing with me his or its um, its connection with humans throughout the ages. So I really did see ancient uh, goddesses, you know, with snakes around them and protective uh, snakes around gods. I did see that both the Caduceus and the, I didn't know it was called the Rod of Asclepius, but I saw this rod with a single snake. I saw a Kundalini snake. I saw... Just it was it was like a uh, you know a river of snake huh and I was just seeing all the ways that snake had interacted with humans throughout the ages mm-hmm. and I don't know how long it was it was one of those timeless moments and when I kind of came to I was in bed and I realized oh you know and I felt the presence of a of a snake a small snake it was I remember the color it was beautiful it was a like a periwinkle silver blue and it was curled on my belly just in front of my backbone. And I, I, I kind of curled over and I went to sleep. And when I woke up, my back pain was totally gone. And oh I goodness. felt transformed. I felt totally transformed. I felt uh, totally fascinated by snake. And it, it, it was like awakening. And I thought, how have I never, like, been aware of snake, the power of snake before? How is that possible? I've written all these books, you know, and, I, and I've and I've written about snake, but and I've and I've never been afraid of snakes really, but I've never been overly fascinated by them. But this morning I was. I was just totally fascinated, captivated by snake. That morning I started, you know, watching videos, um, reading, uh, buying books on Amazon, uh, uh, really anything I could to learn more about snake, and that's really what I think inspired uh, me to. Uh, not only write this book, but to realize that when Snake told me it had lost its tail, its T-A-I-L, its tail, it had also lost its tail, its T-A-L-E, its larger Mm. story of who and what Mm. it really is. And that's, uh, I I realized this was a big dream, huh? It was a personal dream for me, but it was also a big dream, meaning a universal dream about reconnecting with the power, the ancient power of Snake. And what that really means for us, especially right now when we're so divided, you know, so us versus them, uh, so, uh, so, you know, we're at some sorry times right now, huh? We're at some desperate times. And I, I, I take hope because uh, Snake always appears in the collector dream when, trans, when uh, transformation is needed, when change is needed, and when change is imminent. And that's what we're going through right now. We're going through global change. And um, that that always was behind me as I or inside me <laughs> as I wrote this book and I worked on connecting Snake's story to our own. That's great. I mean, your book is amazing. Again, I'm going to announce the name. It's called Awakening the Ancient Power of Snake: Transformation, Healing, and Enlightenment. And we're going to take a very short commercial break. We're going to come back and continue this conversation. If you have a question for Dawn, then give us a call at 563-999-3539. That's 
877-999-3539. You are listening to Supernatural Girls Radio, and we will be right back. Pure essential oil, specialized mineral, and a revolutionary anti-aging technology. Astridian combines the best of all scientifically proven ingredients in easy-to-use creams, lotions, and concentrated serums. Astridian's advanced line of products take your skin to a new level of being healthy and beautiful. We offer a variety of collections that address all your skin concerns. The Essential Anti-Aging Series treats and moisturizes your skin for a long-lasting, younger look. The Multivitamin Series promotes healthy skin with high-quality vitamins and minerals. The Sports Series restores skin from cellular damage and stress. Astridian also offers a revitalizing solution for hair and a professional series for doctors and medical spas. Visit astridian.love today and begin your new journey to healthy, beautiful, youthful skin. Astridian, beyond your expectations. Are you frustrated with endless mantras, affirmations, and processes that promise to align your life with your dreams only to find yourself years later in the same space where you began? Do you feel like you must be doing something wrong because nothing seems to be working? Don't you just wish that someone could shift your consciousness for you and your life could align with your desires without all the effort? Well, your wish is about to come true. Hi, I'm Carrie Cannon, and I have a gift that allows me to align the consciousness of others to be in harmony with their dreams. The best part is, it requires no particular effort on your part. Upon listening to a consciousness alignment, people have reported instant energy shifts, financial windfalls, soulmate connections, healed relationships, physical healings, and more. To gain access to a free trial offer for my entire Manifesting Miracles library of consciousness alignments, go to commandmiracles.com now for details. Again, that's commandmiracles.com for information about our free trial offer. That's commandmiracles.com. Are you ready for a new experience of freedom and powerful connection? Would you like a positive, effortless change in your life? Then come to CosmicFusion.com, where we offer the most advanced energy clearing and expansion techniques in the world with a quantum vortex energy to activate your divine blueprint and life's purpose. When your soul leads the way with Cosmic Fusion and quantum vortex energy, you can break clear of past difficulties and blocks with the power of the source. With Cosmic Fusion, the source energy does the work for you. It's easy and effortless. Listen to our free meditation right from our Cosmic Fusion website, The Cosmic Code Meditation. Sign up for one of our interactive webinars today. Come to Cosmic Fusion, www.kosmicfusion.com to experience an effortless awakening and transformation. Are you ready for an upgrade? Are you ready for a new experience? 
of living in the fifth dimensional magic and powerful connection? Then visit CosmicFusion.com today. CosmicFusion.com Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get Attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. There are a lot of psychics out there. How do you decide which one is right for you? You look for someone who empowers you, who's practical and spiritually connected, who says, here are your opportunities, here are your challenges, and here's a way to deal with them, and then gives you your own toolbox to make your life everything you want it to be. Hi, I'm Corby Mitleide, and that's how I work with you. As a certified professional tarot reader, I've helped thousands of people for over 40 years through my toolbox. Cards, past life retrieval, numerology, spirit guide conferences, and mediumship. Whether it's career, relationships, finances, or your spiritual road, together we can replace your confusion with clarity. And you'll probably find a little laughter along the way. Visit me at CorbyMitlide.com to find out how to cross your bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. And tell me you found me at Supernatural Girls for a special gift with your reading. Corby Mitlide, the practical psychic for catching your tomorrows today. Find me at CorbyMitlide.com. That's CorbyMitlide.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. And I am here with my co-hosts, PK and George Lugo, and our tremendous guest tonight. How exciting this is to be talking about such groundbreaking information with Don Bauman-Brunke and her new book, Awakening the Ancient Power of Snake, Transformation, Healing, and Enlightenment. So, Don, tell us more about how we can work directly with the energy of the snake. <clears throat> That's a good question. I think I think I would say first, are you called to do that? You know, I'm not saying snake energy is for everybody. I would say it's um it offers transformation. It offers certainly some interesting exploration of the psyche. But if you're afraid of snakes or um, hesitant to do that, I would say maybe now is not the time. I will share a short story that was included in my book. My friend Tara Thomas, who's an animal communicator, was really, really, really afraid of snakes. And she moved to North Carolina where there are plenty of snakes. And so what she did was she put out kind of a, a, a prayer statement saying, please, I want to learn more about you. Can you help me learn? 
And that was in the winter time, so nothing happened for a while. And that spring, she was out by her favorite peony bush, and there was a small little snake shed. And she felt really touched by that, like snake was showing itself to her in a very safe way. And she had a number of experiences where snake got closer and closer. One time she was in the house and she had a, a, an intuitive nudge to go open the door. She opened the door and there was a snake coming up um, in her lawn, very easily visible for her. So again, it was a very safe way for her to see snake. And through these various experiences that she had, she came to appreciate snake and learn from snake. So I guess that's a long way of saying a good way is if you are uh, hesitant or fearful of snake is, and and, you, and yet you want to learn, is to put out that kind of uh, intention, huh? Is to put out yeah. that kind of ideas, like I'd like to learn from you. I always tell people, especially like when I'm doing animal communication uh, 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 seminars or workshops, is look, we always have to begin with where we are. So if we're afraid of something, it's so much better to say, look, I'm afraid of this. This is how I feel. Um, rather than trying to put on a brave face or to act in another way. Um, and I think that's one thing that animals pick up on, you know, is that animals, animals, they, they express who they are, uh, you know, how they are. Whereas humans, we can be emotionally incongruent in time. We can say one thing and, and feel another and, or, or conversely. So um, I think it's really important to be aligned and to come from a respectful place if you want to learn from snake. Now, second answer to the question is if you are and if you feel like you're um, uh, ready for this and not afraid of snakes, then it just depends what speaks to you. You know, do you want to go out and learn more about snakes? Do you want to volunteer at a shelter and possibly work with snakes? Or is it something you'd rather do interiorly, like do a meditation with snake or do a, a, you know, a voyage um, a journey with snake inside in some way. So there's so many different ways we can work with snake, um, and it really just depends on who you are and and what resonates with you the the most the you know the strongest. Well, that makes a lot of sense because there is obviously a, the safe way to to do this <laughs> where you mm-hmm. can go into yeah. you know, meditation or vision and and have those types of conversations. But I mean, PK, you live out in the desert. And yes. I know you mentioned there's a lot of rattlesnakes out where you live, right? Yes, there are. And I never know where they're going to be and with the gravel and such. You don't see them. And I've got some bushes and such around. And all of a sudden, I'll see one going across the sidewalk. That's one thing. But it's when I go to reach for something, and all of a sudden, they're there. And mm-hmm. it scares the bejesus out of you because mm-hmm. when Especially in the spring, when the new newborns there were they're more venomous, and I remind my granddaughter to stay away from anything like that and to be very cautious when she gets out around the plants and things. Right. You know, there's no doubt that we need to be respectful and cautious around snakes. Um, I do have a friend who lives in Arizona, and one of the things, he loves to go uh, walking in the desert at night with his dog. And one of the things he does is he puts out, again, an intention, and he lets snakes know, um, I'm coming this way, um, and I don't, I don't want to harm you, so please don't harm me. Right, and that's how he walks. He walks with that intention, with that energy, rather than being fearful of, you know, what could happen. Da 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 da. He has this uh, a presence, and you know, uh, some people. I've actually heard uh, a, a woman tell me she did a similar thing where she walks and she imagines a big bubble around her, and it's a protective bubble, and it protects the snakes and it protects her. And so when she walks, 
um, you know, she has a clear path and she kind of projects herself a little bit forward. So the snakes know that she's coming and get out of the way. Because snakes don't really want to bite us. They don't want to be in, you know, they don't want to be squashed, right? <laughs> well, actually, actually, they have their little alarm system, you know, some of the rattlers. You know, they rattle before you right. get there. And right. so they let exactly. you know that, you know, right in front of you, you know. And so right. when I used to hike out in the desert, I'd always kind of walk a little on the heavier side and maybe kick a rock mm-hmm. once in a while just to make noise and vibration on the ground because they feel that quite a ways right. away. And, and sometimes they'll go away and that you won't even cross them. But when right. you do come across them, you know, you just let them do their thing and they'll be fine. Well, I had a lot of roads around the, the uh, walkway out here. And so they would go across and they would go be, because of the, the water that would be there, or, you know, at different times. But it was like you didn't see them and all of a sudden they're there. That's yeah. startling. <laughs> so it's startling. So no noise yeah. with them. They're just there. I found that. <laughs> well, you know, there's probably more snakes around that we don't observe than, um, you know, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's like it's the snakes are there. It's just us who maybe not see them, and then all of a sudden we see them, whereas the snake may have been present for some time. Um, mm-hmm. Just just to reaffirm, snakes don't really want to be involved with humans. They really, you know, in terms of a confrontation. So, and, that, and uh, you know, George is exactly right. That's what a... That's what those uh, rattles are all about. They're not. They're not being angry. They're not, you know, uh, telling us an angry way. They're saying, "Stay away. Here I am. Stay away." Right. Yeah. You know. That's right. Yeah. 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 You, you also brought up something interesting about the younger snakes being more venomous than the older mm-hmm. snakes. Really, that's interesting. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's true for most most species of snakes. Uh, most most younger snakes are most juvenile snakes are tend to be more venomous than than an older snake. Yeah, it's not always. Yeah, true, those are, yeah they'll they'll shoot their whole load into you, and it's really potent. Uh, older snakes they may bite you, but they don't always shoot everything into you. Just a, maybe a little bit just to scare you away, or they can't help <clears> it. You know, they, you know. But they're used to hunting. They're used to doing this type of thing, so when they do bite you, it won't be as bad. It usually is not as well, bad. Yeah, it's really interesting about venom. Venom, uh, you know, uh, shooting venom is, is basically optional for a snake. So a snake can bite you, and it can right. be called, a venomous snake can bite you. It can be called what is called a dry bite, meaning it's just with the fangs, but the venom hasn't come out. Um, yep. Or they can, you know, uh, like you say, shoot the load of venom, and then you're in trouble. Well, <laughs> yeah. Right. And they're We're so fast, and you talk about that in your book, uh, Don, mm-hmm. their ability to strike. And I had mm-hmm. the benefit of seeing that once at when I was at a ranch and out west. I think it was in Tucson, PK. This is long before I knew you. And they were doing a demonstration with rattlesnakes, and they brought out more and more aggressive ones each time. But I've never seen anything move that fast. I mean, to do a strike mm-hmm. like that, it's a, you can't even blink your eyes that fast. It is amazing. In terms yeah. of how they both. Yeah. It's amazing. It got, mm-hmm. it got into the house and it scared the bejesus out of me because how was I going to get? So the, the, I was told to call the fire department, which I did, and they were kind enough to come down and they finally did corner it and get it out. But it was just the idea that it's inside, I went outside. <laughs> you know, it's scary. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, would probably be outside, too. 
that sometimes they butt up against the uh, the front door, like they feel the air coming out from underneath it, either to get warm or, or whatever. They just are, they just kind of – so when you open your front door, they're like right at your feet, you know, right at the threshold. Mm. So that's a little frightening sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, but they're great. Yeah. They're, you know. yeah, there's also so much but power you know, in learning about that and learning how to do – I mean, what if you needed to do a strike? What if you needed to move that fast? You know, you'd want to call on the snake energy to be able to do that, right? You could do that. That's a great way to work with snake. And, you know, just also, I mean, again, it depends where we are in our consciousness. If it, uh, You know, I'm in Alaska. We don't have, we don't have wild snakes here. So <laughs> it's not going to ever happen to me that a snake shows up at my door. But if I lived in Arizona and if a snake showed up at my door, I would I think I would wonder, hmm, why is that? Maybe it's just, you know, on one level, it's just a snake that's trying to get warm. But maybe it's also something deeper than that, something more than that. Maybe my psyche called this snake here. Maybe there's a reason this snake is here. Is, does it have to do with transformation? Does it have to do with healing? You know, so I might play with that as if it is a dream, perhaps. And I, and I go, oh, I had a dream about a snake showed up at my door. What does that mean? What does that tell me? So there's always openings to learning more about snake or any animal or about ourselves huh? with situations like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think you're right. You know, there's so much to learn on, on so many deeper levels about the snake. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just think we've we've missed out because of that shift in consciousness that you spoke to us about at the beginning of the show. I think that shift mm-hmm. is more than just shift. I think it, it really buried some very, very powerful information. It did. I agree with you. It did bury some information. But at the same time, if we step back and we look at this and we see, hmm, well, we explored our goddess energy for, you know, a, a long time, and now we're exploring our, our god or our, our male energy for a long time, you know, what does the future bring? And how do we bring these two together? And there is a lot about reclaiming, you know, the tale, the stories, the ancient stories that have been buried so strongly and so deeply that we do miss out. We're missing part of ourselves. Uh, we've lost our tail as well <laughs> to some degree. Yeah. So so there is there is something about reclaiming that and, and learning that and using our intuition. You know, uh, dreams, for example. I'm a big dream enthusiast. I just I can't believe that more people don't take advantage of dreams because they're these I amazing agree. little little stories that our unconscious or subconscious is giving to us as gifts every morning, almost every morning. And, you know, uh, and again, like I said before, we can play with the idea of dreams, of a snake showing up at our door and, oh, what does that mean? What does that speak to? What do I feel inside about that? We, we've kind of become really divorced from um, exploring our dream mentality and, and that whole intuitive realm. And we have lost out. I agree with you completely. We have lost out um, uh, on so much of, of who we really are. I kind of feel and, like we're more awake when we're asleep, you know, that's where all our yeah. truths mm-hmm. are. That's mm-hmm. right. So, if you just so many people are, don't want to do that work. They don't want to pay attention to it. They don't want to be bothered, and they're missing out. Well, mm-hmm. and it's true, isn't it? I mean, it is our society, which is very much about magic bullets and getting the quick fix. And, you know, I mean, I see this even when I do animal communication workshops. It's like they people come and they want to be like, oh, I'll leave here an animal communicator. And I'm like, well, if you're willing to put in the work, you will. 
You know, mm-hmm. I mean, right. we do need to be a little bit more responsible with who we are and and how we learn things and and how we speak and how we act in the world. And some of this stuff isn't uh, something that happens overnight. You know, we do need to put. I mean, if you want to learn the piano, <laughs> you know, you got to put in your practice right. time, right? It's the same yeah. thing. It's the same thing with animal communication, with being intuitive. I'm sure you all know this. Um, you know, you study the craft and you and you learn things. And you learn not only by books and by other people, but by experience and by doing it. And by doing it over and over and over again. And that's when you become good at it. Huh? That's yes. when it becomes fun, really. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Now, tell us more about snakes in terms of how, how it compares it to other animals like wolves they're known as you know they obviously have their their tribe but are snakes considered loners i mean it's they don't seem to travel in groups or do they yeah, well, some snakes do, and some snakes will uh, rest or hibernate. And they don't really exactly hibernate, but they, uh, they congregate in large groups. Um, new research on snakes has shown snakes, some snake species are social animals. There's, some, there's a lady, actually I think she is in Arizona, I'm not sure where, uh, who studies rattlesnakes and has found that uh, rattles, uh, some rattlesnakes will, will come together uh, during uh, when they're having the babies, and they'll actually babysit another snake's uh, young. Wow. So there's fa- yeah, there's fascinating uh, new uh, ev- uh, evidence that's coming out from snake observers all over the world. And, you know, a lot of our perceptions about snake have been, um, they're very superficial, and a lot of times they're not even true, <laughs> you know. Huh. So uh, uh, some of these snake uh, people, and more, and more, I think more scientists are becoming a little bit more interested in snakes and, um, and observing them and realizing they have a different uh, world view and how can we understand and appreciate that so so anyway back to your question um i think in general snakes tend to be more solitary and more alone they will like i said they will come together sometimes they do travel together but generally at least my experience in working with snake spirit is more it's once one snake you know kind of a snake entity and um or a snake spirit i don't mean entity in a bad way but a, a snake spirit a snake presence and generally it's 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 more solitary i think most snakes uh travel alone so mm-hmm. yeah yeah i was wondering about that that's very mm-hmm. interesting and what is this about cobras and and dancing to the music of a flute. I mean, you see that in in movies. Is that real? Yeah, well, the whole the whole uh, you know, snake charming thing, it actually has a really interesting history history depending on where where and when uh, uh what culture you're looking at at what time you're looking at. But the Indian uh uh, uh snake charming kind of began as a more ancient practice of it was usually males. And they were um, they were holy men, and mm-hmm. they worked with the snakes. And that's when uh, you know snake as a, a spiritual deity is called a naga in Sanskrit. And so uh, these holy men worked with the nagas, and they were often on a practical level. They'd come and they'd get the snake out of your house, out of your hut, if the snake was there. They knew how to treat snake bites, but they also harnessed kind of the uh, uh, called shamanic or the spiritual aspect of snake, and so they were considered wise people as well. You know, now that whole that whole snake charming business kind of denigrated in the 1900s, early 1900s, when it became more of a tourist thing. And then you had, you know, just 
your basic Joe, uh, well, let me get a cobra, put it in a thing. And sometimes they sew their mouth shut. Sometimes they'd remove their venom glands, some kind of really awful wow. things. Um, think smack them on the head. Yeah, smack them upside the head. You better perform. (laughs) So so they would, uh, you know, snakes don't have ears. They do feel. um, But so the whole whole flute thing was more about movement and about kind of entrancing the snake with movement than than it was about sound. That was just for the tourists again. So they they don't hear then. They have no ears. They can't hear. Right. They hear in different ways. This is one of the things I did learn through animal communication is they do hear, but it's in a different way. It's more in a, it's almost like hearing, yeah, vibrationally, they feel through their bodies. They hear, hear, feel mm-hmm. through their bodies. Um, and it's almost like being under, for us, for me, when I, when I connect in that way, it's almost like being underwater. And you hear things like in a very muted, muted way. And you would, you would kind of feel, hear it more than, more than uh, uh, hear it with your ears. Um, yeah, so it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. The whole thing is, uh, uh, how snake charming, you know, I think snake charming says more about humans than it does about snakes. Um, Mm -hmm. one thing I talk about in the book is the difference between male snake charmers and females, you know, in the 1900s, female snake charming, that was a big thing in the U S but more kind of in France and Europe. And they would have these, you know, scantily clothed, uh, uh, ladies who would charm snakes. And it's interesting that the female snake charmers would tend to drape the snakes over their bodies, their arms, their bellies, and they would kind of dance with the snakes. So it was never about showing power over snake, but for more kind of almost like uh, the way uh, snake uh, connected with goddess way back in the ancient days, more about communing with snake and moving like snake and, and um, being in tune with snake. So that also had a seductive quality. It's interesting, isn't it, that snake charming always has kind of this exotic and erotic quality to mm-hmm. it you know there's something that yeah. we can't we just have to watch it it's because it's and i think that also speaks to the movement of snake you know snake's basic movement is undulation mm-hmm. um it's a very graceful type of movement and and there's something that is mesmerizing about that yeah. almost like a yes yeah. yeah no arms no legs what else you got you know <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> Now, yeah. how does this tie into our DNA? Because you talk about that in your book also. Oh, I do talk about that in my book. Um, so, you know, I'm just going to apologize in advance because I wrote this book about, I finally finished it about a year ago. And when you write a book, you know, you, you kind of put it to bed, you send it off to your publisher, you forget about it for a while. And then a year later, it's it's suddenly in the world and you're like, uh, at least I am like, oh, I better read this book again to remember exactly <laughs> what I said. <laughs> so I haven't gotten to the chapter yet. I started, I'm about three quarters of the way through. But I do have a great chapter called um, The Scientist, the Stargazer, the Shaman, and the Snake. And it's all about um, uh, ways in which uh, South American shamans in particular uh, have a connection with snakes. One of the things that shamans, South American especially, shamans tend to see when they do their journeys um, is snakes. Their snakes uh, are often, uh, sometimes they're cosmic snakes in the sky, sometimes they're snakes um, that are undulating in a certain way. And an anthropologist, Jeremy Narby, went there and, and uh, worked with these shamans for a long while, observed them, learned from them, and came to determine that a lot of the shamans were actually tuning into uh, 
the connection of snake uh, coming up the spine like it does in Kundalini and DNA, the similar way that DNA coils like a ladder, huh? And in, in anthropological, in a shamanic culture, rather, we often see that ladder. Uh, it's between worlds. It connects. It connects the, the living world, our world, either with the sky world or with the underworld. And that's a lot of what snake does, too. I, I didn't talk about that at the very beginning, but snake is often a bridge, um, a connector of worlds between earth and sky or earth and water, earth and the underground, things like that. So there's this... Uh, very detailed, and actually it would take me a little while to explain the whole thing, but there's an, uh, a, a very deep connection between snake and DNA and kundalini and the way that energies rise up our spine and help, help us to awaken. That's you know, so DNA is a blueprint, right? Yeah, DNA is a blueprint. It's a message. It tells ourselves what to do. And you think about the caduceus, you know, how the two snakes are entwined on Mercury's uh, staff. It's very similar, if you look at it, to DNA. It's the curving of those two ribbons up, up, or two snakes up, up, up a central pole, which is also to say what are the energies, the idea and the pingala in the, in the spine that, that curve up your spine and lead to that kundalini awakening. Mm-hmm. You said something yeah. a minute ago, Don, that really triggered something for me in terms of shamanism. And we've had a number of shamans on the show, and it's always been an enlightening experience. But I once, after one of these shows, I had this experience meeting the original shaman, and it was very powerful. But what I saw about the shaman was the shaman was the nexus point between the worlds. Mm-hmm. And when you mm-hmm. talk about the snake, you know, able to connect the worlds, I think that's one of the missing mm-hmm. pieces about snake, and it's probably why so many shamans see these big colorful snakes in their own visions it's because of that connection between the worlds that maybe it Mm -hmm. is the snake who is the only one in the animal kingdom that can make that connection it's just a thought that i had as you were talking yeah and again that goes yeah it goes back to those really really ancient myths where the snake comes from the sky down to the earth and 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 uh you know activates life on earth. Sometimes you see the snake coming from the under from the core of the earth and coming up and activating life on earth in the uh, aboriginal dream time you know it's this huge snake that travels beneath the earth and and makes the mountains and the gullies and the valleys and so forth so yeah, always snake is about connecting worlds and about helping, in not only connecting worlds, but being a pathway for humans to connect worlds. So, yeah, that totally right. fits with, with what I've learned about snake, yeah. Yeah, wow, that's very powerful information. It is powerful, yeah, yeah. Well, we have a question yeah. here, so let me bring this person yeah. on uh, live with us. Sure. Hi, welcome to the show. Who's this? Hi, it's you. Happy New Year, everyone. I am hey, fascinated Happy New Year. by the fascinated by the show, and I did was looking up while she was speaking. She just touched on water a little bit, but water snakes are quite beautiful. And I mm-hmm. was wondering if they were related to eels, but they're not. It's a totally different species. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And so I was wondering if she could comment on water snakes. Well, water snakes are fascinating. Um, they're some of the most venomous snakes often. And um, there's not a lot of water snakes, but the ones that are, you know, they and, and think about it. You wouldn't think about a snake living in the ocean. 
Um, but they do. They live on so many different habitats. Um, some snakes, some water snakes, actually are able to go onto land and are able to live both in 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 the ocean, in salt water as well as land. So it's a fascinating, uh, um, you know, area of snakes. I want to say there's not many, maybe 15 species of water snakes. I could be wrong. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. There's like over 3,000 species of snakes. So. Um, and some of them are very interesting. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to jump a, a bit of about there's water snakes. There's also what are called the flying snakes, which are snakes that basically climb up trees really high. There's five species of these. And they fling themselves outward, and they kind of become a, a snake frisbee, and they're able to glide <laughs> sometimes 200 feet and land safely on the ground. Oh, my Isn't God. Isn't that amazing? Yes, yeah, I know. Yeah, they're fascinating. And there's also a snake, the Brahmini blind snake, which is a species that is entirely female. There are no male Brahmini blind snake males. Oh and my so goodness. they're able, they basically, they basically clone themselves. And they, ha, they travel, they're an amazing species because they travel all over the world. They're also called a flower pot snake. And so they kind of tr- uh, move and colonize new areas by the horticultural trade. And they've spread all over the world. They, the scientists believe, I think they started, um, I'm not sure exactly, might have been Asia. But they're all over the world now. And, <laughs> you know, I'm like, world domination, right? <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Who would have guessed oh, it? <laughs> yeah. Are they venomous? Yeah. Uh, no, no. They're really small. They look like little earthworms. They really don't even almost look like snakes, but um, they, they are snakes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hugh, did that answer your question? Yes, I'm so happy she brought up those other varieties that aren't well known. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. Yeah, oh, thank Hugh, you. thanks so much for your call and your great questions. Thank you. There's so much to learn here, Don. What a wonderful mm-hmm. book you've written to allow all of us Thank into you. the world of the snake. It's so yes, it's important, it's I think, and because again of our misconceptions that we've held through the years, we need yeah. to let go of those. We can really learn more uh, about the snake and well, exactly. Who they and, are. You know, part of exactly, and part of what uh, you know when I was writing this, I realized, wow. So much of this is so fascinating. If more people knew, you know, um, what was so fascinating about snakes, maybe we wouldn't fear it as much. Because as soon as you get kind of, as soon as you open to your fascination, I think your fear lessens and you become really intrigued. And um, there is so much that's fascinating just on the biology of snakes. You know, snakes are, snakes, for example, have two penises. What? Who knew? Yeah. Who knew? Right. Yeah. Who knew? So I actually, my book has a lot of photographs, and there are some photographs of uh, snakes. They're called hemipenes, and you can see what they look like. What's really amazing about them is that many of them have little, little flowers on the ends of them, or little uh, appendages almost. They look like broccoli. Some of them look like little little stalks of broccoli. And what's Hmm. amazing is the female snakes of the species. Uh, have an exact fit. So the inside of the female snake has that very similar pattern to that, that same species, male hemipenes, and it's like a lock and key system. Oh, for heaven's sake. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that amazing? It yeah. is amazing. It is. That is. <laughs> yeah. Now, 
I know that you haven't. You decided you weren't going to be doing communication with snakes like you do with other animals. But I do wonder mm-hmm. what snakes think of humans. Did you come across well, anything did, that would some, answer that? Yeah, I did do some um, communication. I just didn't include a lot of it in the book because I really wanted this to be a book uh, championing snakes and more about snakes. Um, but yeah, I have. Uh, I for several clients, I've done talks with snakes and with Carl and Chloe as well. You know, one of the main things that I uh, learned from snake, um, I remember asking this one. You know, how does it feel being in a in a cage, in a, in a, you know, in a house? And would you rather be in the wild? And the snake had this very kind of spiritually mature answer which was you know we come and we work with humans sometimes and the way we work is one-to-one we often work one-to-one and and I found that to be true because I found that when people would come to my house and especially uh, people who are very phobic of snakes or fearful of snakes they would come and they would see us you know holding the snakes and I think 99 times out of 100 that person would end up touching the snake or really changing their mind about snake. So sometimes the power of one is just as good, huh? Yeah. <laughs> as the power of a thousand. And mm-hmm. so anyway, that's that that's what that snake um said. I think uh, another aspect of snake uh one of the communications was that you know, we don't understand your uh your hatred of us. You know, and I think I think when we do say, "Oh, I hate snakes," I have several. You know, I actually have my my dad is uh, has a very bad snake phobia. He just doesn't want to look at them. He hates them. He's just died of that. That's how it is. So when we have that hatred of an animal, you know, on some level they feel that um, yeah. just as strongly know. as you know humans do it. Humans hate other humans for whatever reasons they have, and we feel that and we know that. And I think part of our evolution is looking at that shadow aspect of what we hate or what we fear so strongly and asking ourselves, why is that? And do I want to hold that, you know, limitation to myself or am I willing to explore it a little bit? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so a lot of snakes um, uh, or or several snakes that I talked to, you know, uh, we're kind of in that way, almost encouraging people to learn more about snakes. Um, They didn't understand our fear of them. Some snakes, on the other hand, you know, I have talked with some, they just want to be left alone. They really don't want anything to do with humans. Not in a bad Can't way, blame but it's like they're living, they're living their snake life, you know? I mean, uh, that's, that's what they want to do. So it really depends on the individual snake. Um, I would say as a species, or if we talk about like the spirit of snake, it's more about um, engaging us and helping us to awaken and remember who we really are. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a wonderful gift. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, gosh, there is just there is so much to this this whole topic. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. Definitely. I had another question here, and of course, it just left my little mind. But <laughs> um, <laughs> you'll remember it. <laughs> I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will because I'm so fascinated by your book and and everything that you're sharing tonight with all of us. So I think it's just I have, so I have important. a question. Go ahead. Is, is, is your is, is your husband uh good with snakes? He has no problem with them or how did he take it yeah. in the beginning? He was he was really excited that I wanted to um uh get a snake. He had always been interested in them and he took to them right away. He was actually the one who was usually responsible for feeding the snakes. 
And mm-hmm. um, because I was a little, I was leery of that. I did think long and hard. Am I going to be able to feed a snake? You know, if I'm going to bring a snake into my house, I have to be responsible. And, you know, it's not living in the wild, so I have to bring it food. Can I do that? Um, and that was difficult you're talking for about me. live he food, was, right? We we did. We now some people do not use live food. They use uh, frozen food. Um we we chose to use live because that's how our snakes had been brought up. And so we just didn't want to switch it because ball pythons in particular are are known to be picky eaters. So we didn't want any of our snakes to get sick. So we did, you know, continue how, what the other people had done, which was use live live mice. And um that's a trip, let me tell you, you know. So my husband would my- always uh get the mice and he would thank them really for their service. We were always very grateful to the mice. And then, um, and what's interesting with snakes is, you know, sometimes they won't eat. And so if, if one of the snakes wasn't going to eat that mouse, sometimes they go nose to nose and they look each other and they look like they're like the best little buddies, you know, and you know, after 10 to 15 minutes, that snake's not going to eat tonight. So, uh, but then other times, yeah, that snake means business. Wow. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would that would be the hardest thing for me. I, I don't think I could do that part, but I, I admire you and your courage and being able to do something new like that. That's really, really challenging. But tell mm-hmm. us a little bit also, Dawn, about how people can reach you for your animal communication. Tell us a little bit about how you structure that. Do you do private sessions? <coughs> You teach mm-hmm. classes in it, you know, so every because everybody loves this topic. So mm-hmm. tell us a little more about that before we end the show. Tonight. Sure. Sure. Probably the easiest way to learn more about me is to go to my website, which is animalvoices.net. And I do private sessions, uh, animal talks. I like to do that on Skype if possible. I just like seeing people, huh, and interacting in that way. Um, or we can do it on my phone. I do classes sometimes, sometimes by Internet. Sometimes I will travel somewhere and do a class for, you know, 12 to 15 people. I like to have small classes. Uh, workshops are usually two days. Uh, an animal session, a talk with your animal, it's usually about an hour. And the way I like to structure that is uh, I like to get photos, and I spend about 15 minutes beforehand tuning into the animal and then telling you what I perceive, just so we all know we're on the same page. And then I personally like to, I like clients who want to bring, you know, want to learn a little bit. huh? So I'm kind of facilitating a three-way phone call between you and your animal and myself, and I'm kind of acting as the translator. And sometimes if People are very open and intuitive. They they kind of sense how to do it, huh? I've I've, yeah. I've had sessions where where uh, people will near the end be like, oh, oh yeah, I, I felt that that I, I understood that, you know, and they kind of get how to through osmosis they get how to do it, and and um, that's really exciting. So yeah, I'm all about encouraging people to open their intuition, and um, you know, sometimes animal sessions are just to learn more about your animal. Sometimes there's a you're addressing a health issue or a behavioral issue. Sometimes uh, uh, sessions can be really helpful when an animal is getting ready to pass. Um, you know, it helps the human, it helps the animal. So there's all different reasons why people call and do animal animal sessions, and it's always a pleasure. I always have a great time. Now, do you talk to animals once they've passed? I know some communicators will, yeah. some will not. 
You do. I do. For me, that's not a, a difficult thing. I just, you know, like for me, actually, lost animals tend to be a little bit more difficult than uh, animals that have passed on. So you're right. Every animal communicator has their own area of expertise. Um, I enjoy talking with uh, animals, animals that have passed on. Yeah, I enjoy doing that. Gosh, that's wonderful. So people can find you at your website. And would you just give that out again, if you would? Sure. It's animalvoices.net. Perfect. And there's a lot yeah. about my books there, and there's a lot about my sessions. So, um, yeah, you're welcome to visit. <laughs> well, that's great. We're going to have to have you back just to do animal communication and, and help our audience learn more about that because I know that everybody in our audience and, of course, all of us tonight talking with you love animals. And it's, it would be just wonderful to hear more from you on that topic as well so that we could I'd be really happy to do it. that. Yeah, yeah that would be great fun. Yeah, yeah. and well, I don't know if you've ever, uh, if you've ever done anything on tarot, but I also created a tarot deck, and oh. I I find that to be a really fascinating language as well. You know, a lot a lot of what we're talking about here is translation, huh? You know, yeah. animal communication mm-hmm. is a form of translation. Using the tarot or doing meditation or dream work, all of that is about kind of bringing worlds together and translating, um, you know, ways of being um, so that we can better understand ourselves. So, yeah, well, we, happy to be on your we show whenever. We, <laughs> we definitely need we that. And I want you to talk to my little guys for me and see what they have to say, some things I'm sure I've missed along the way. So it would be great to have you on Skype with all of us. <laughs> That'd be great and fun. I know our, sure. our audience would love that opportunity to talk with you about their animals as well. So we're definitely going to plan to have you back. This has been a wonderful show, Don. Thank you so much for your beautiful yeah, book you. and for your time tonight. Again, everybody, the name of the book is Awakening the Ancient Power of Snake Transformation Healing and Enlightenment by our terrific guest, Don Bowman Brunke. It's available on Amazon, on Don's website. Oh, my. Well, thank you so much. Now, next week, everybody, as I mentioned, we're going down the rabbit hole, UFOs, aliens, interdimensionals. Be sure to tune in. And until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thank Thank you. you. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls.